we are live hello hello and welcome to another episode of strong tea i'm vicky and i'm katie and if you haven't come across us before got lost over my words then if you haven't listened to us before we are a podcast that focus on talking about the things that we should be learning more about things that could be considered taboo or controversial and we like to lay it bare um, and put it out there just for people to learn a bit more and to get the conversation going. And today's no exception. But before we get into the topic and introducing our incredible guest for today, let's talk about what we are drinking. Finn, our guest, what are you Hello. drinking today? I am drinking toast and jam tea. <gasps> is it Yorkshire? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I've oh my recently God, become like... a fan of these teas. They're amazing. That's Vicky's favourite. You're oh, a big fan, aren't you? Yeah. It's <laughs> lovely. It is really like actually tasting and eating toast and jam, isn't it? Yeah. Have you tried the malted biscuit one? Mm-hmm. <gasps> I can't quite decide which one of these two is my favourite. They need to make some more. Yeah. I'd like to see do. jammy Dodger tea, custard <gasps> cream tea. <gasps> custard cream tea. We need to petition them, don't we, and get them to make some more. <laughs> Right, we're going to tag Yorkshire Tea onto this episode. Yeah. And asking very nicely, please extend the range because yeah. it's incredible. It's it amazing. is, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Oh, well, welcome to the Strong Tea family, Finn. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I love that you're drinking it in a thermos because I always think I should do it. And I'm so unprepared for each episode that I just turn up and my tea goes cold. And then I'm like, oh. I'm wait. notorious for letting my tea go cold. So I have to have it in one of these. Otherwise, I'll be there forever making tea. <laughs> I, I, I've i gone for a Yorkshire today as well. But I've gone for a Yorkshire decaf because it's the afternoon. Okay. And only out of the fact that I learnt... Uh, very early on uh, when I was breastfeeding that if you have caffeine after midday you have a baby that doesn't sleep at night so um, you've got the decaf uh, which has been stewed for a good six and a half minutes oh Um, a bit of a placebo yeah Mm. convince yourself it's real tea Mm. of all the decaf teas I've tried your tea is the best yeah okay interesting um I have um, betrayed both of you. I'm very, very sorry. Not only is it not Yorkshire, it's not even tea. I'm on. I know. I know. But it's praline Nespresso coffee. Oh, that sounds good. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's part of their new Christmas range. They've got a raspberry one as well. And um, it's lovely. Yeah. So so what? Is it sweet? No, it's, it's, it's not. So it does need a syrup in it to kind of sweeten it up but it does definitely taste praline which is which is really nice praline 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 it's an amazing word that <laughs> thank you tm copyright yeah. um which is probably why we've had to try and record this this is the fourth take uh folks so you know that's probably wise because of the strong coffee we always know what happens when vicky has coffee yeah just never trust me to do an intro full stop really <laughs> Right, well, I'll take over from here, shall I? Thank you. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> right, well, I'm here to do the job of introducing our wonderful guest that we have with us today. We have Finley Games, who is a wonderful human being. Finley, who's also known as Finn, has got a massive, massive online following thanks to his wonderfully honest accounts of his life journey. Um, Finn is a recovering alcoholic and addict um, in sobriety since 2010. Shout out to you, Finn. That's an 
excellent mm-hmm. achievement. Um, Finn is also transgender, which means he was assigned male at birth, but is in fact male. Um, in recent years, Finn has successfully become a published author um, with his book Top to Bottom, which recounts the physical side of transitioning as well. Um, Finn's recently also been diagnosed with ME and is now sharing his experiences online to help others. Others. And we're really, really excited to welcome Finn for this first episode, um, which we're hoping will be the first of many. Uh, we're hoping he comes back after this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Finn, uh, joining us today, talking about his trans journey. Welcome and tell us your story. Thank you so much. That was a really lovely welcome. And don't worry about the wobbly introduction. It's actually really lovely to see someone else have a wobble because I have to say before I start, having ME, one of the wobbles I have is I often stumble over my words. I have this problem with um, word finding. So if I do stumble over my words, just ignore me. <laughs> I call my ME Fred, which oh, is kind right. of like, it's, a, it's his naughty name. So if I just, you know, if Fred mis- <laughs> misbehaves and I kind of stumble over words, we just ignore him and we carry on. Oh, I love it. I just like to call him out because it makes me really anxious. So if I just call him out before we start, then it, it just solves all of that. Oh, absolutely. Take, absolutely. take his power away. Yeah. Not yes. To, not to be confused with Freddie. No. Uh, our sound engineer today. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is Naughty Fred. Naughty, Fred. naughty Fred. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. So my trans story in a nutshell as much as best I can, because you know how I can go on for ages about this. Okay. So to tell you my story. I came out as trans quite late in life. I was I was 37 when I came out, which it sounds quite late in life. And I thought it was late in life. But actually, there's quite a lot of people that come out late. It's just that you tend to only hear the kind of younger people who come out as trans. You'd be forgiven for thinking that all trans people find out when they're young, come out when they're young, and that's it. And it is more the case these days because we do have a lot more information, there's a lot more awareness. But, I mean, I'm 48, I was born in 1974. And back then, of course, there just wasn't the awareness of LGBT people at all, really, not even, and definitely not trans people at all, really. And so, for me, growing up, I just didn't see trans people and you know there's this saying you can only be it if you can see it I mean this is why Mm -hmm. representation is so incredibly important you know sharing stories seeing people like us represented is so key to finding ourselves and so although I didn't know I was trans I did know something was wrong because that's how I experienced it I knew something was different but for me because I didn't know what it was inverted commas I thought it was something was wrong And I guess this kind of first manifested around the age of like seven, eight, nine. And it first kind of started with just the way people were starting to relate to me felt off. That's how it very first started. And I always shared this story about my granddad, because when I look back, this was one of the very first instances where that started to happen. I was a huge tomboy when I was younger. And now I always like to say that, you know, being a tomboy does not mean you're going to be trans. It isn't that at all. You know, it's just for me, this is this difference in what happened was how I kind of knew because my being a tomboy was never an issue. My parents were fine with it. Everyone else was fine with it. I was never told I had to wear a dress or not or play with a certain toy. I was actually left to dress how I want, play with what I want until I wasn't. I absolutely adored my granddad. I had this absolute love of Robin Hood, which he indulged. I had this bright green skateboard, which was my horse. And I used to (laughs) patrol his little cul-de-sac. 
with my male friends at the time, say it was about seven or eight at this stage. And one day my granddad came out and he asked me to put my T-shirt on. And I just felt this kind of real hot wave of shame. And, you know, I didn't know what was going on, really. Why was my granddad asking me to put my top on, but not my male peers? And I just I just felt like, what had I done wrong? What what mm. what what was wrong about me that I had to put my top on, but they didn't? And then there was other little messages that were happening. Suddenly, the presence that my granddad was getting me, like, you know, he used to collect little action jack figures, but suddenly they were replaced with Barbie dolls. And suddenly dresses were forced on me. And suddenly I was being told to sit nicely. And I had no idea what sit nicely meant. And to me, I just suddenly felt like who I was wasn't good enough. Like who I was wasn't acceptable. Now, of course, I look back and I know that what was happening was I was growing into a young girl and they were trying to support me, having been assigned female at birth, to grow into the young girl they expected me to be. But for me, it felt like I suddenly wasn't good enough for everybody that who I was there was something wrong that people were trying to change and obviously it was so apparent to everyone around me that something was wrong I just sunk this was the very beginnings of that first anxiety and depression and angst and awfulness and I tried to articulate but at that young age I mean anxiety just felt like a hurt in my stomach so they would take me to the doctors and I'd say my tummy hurts and they could find nothing wrong, obviously, because it wasn't my stomach. I remember saying to my dad that I had this homesick feeling, like someone or something was missing. And when I, I look back to that now, it's like, of course, it was me. I was missing. Finn was missing. And it, it's just so bizarre that that's how I articulated it. But without any answer as to what this thing was, I mean, it was gender dysphoria. Mm. And we'd probably recognise that now. But back then, of course, you wouldn't have done and so without any answer to what this was it just got worse and I mean as you can imagine as I grew and my body did start to change it was just awful you know puberty happening and you know my chest starting to grow and my hips developing and all of that it was just awful not only were the people around me starting to treat me differently and act differently so was my body it was just like the whole world was just sliding out of control around me. And I just didn't get what was going on. Didn't understand why everything just felt so alien in the way things were changing. Unfortunately, I, without any way of knowing what was going on, I just was so desperate that I started to then turn to unhelpful ways of coping with this. The first one was eating or not, as the case was, because I discovered that the least, less I ate, the less my body would change. I could keep myself small, stop my breast from developing, keep my body quite small. Because I'd said to my dad once, I feel like I'm fat, like there's too much of me. And he'd said, no, not at all. You're not fat. You're just developing into a curvy young lady. And of course, mm -hmm. anyone else would have been, oh, wow, that's lovely. But for me, it was like, oh, my God, no, <laughs> no, no, I don't want to be that. So not eating was my way of hopefully stopping that happen heading into my 13 14 years I discovered alcohol or more to the point that it would block out my feelings give me some escape for a while 
And that's what I've started to do, just find anything and anything that I could just to numb this pain, which by this point was just getting bigger and bigger. And just it was just taking over every single day from the minute I was waking. I just wanted an end to all of this. I did desperately keep trying to find out what was wrong. I think the closest I ever came was in my early 20s. It was like 1990s by now and then by this time. And the LGBT community was becoming more accepted. We had like the movement, the gay rights movement. And so, you know, there was a big um, gay communities popping up everywhere. And I discovered lesbians and I'm laughing because at the time, you know, it just seemed like my answer because I was fascinated by lesbians because they seemed to me to be an answer. Lesbians dressed like men. And I loved that. I was really drawn to the fact that all these women were looking like men, acting like men. And their stories were like mine. They were people that were saying, oh, they tried dating men and yet it hadn't worked. That was my story. You know, I tried to date men. I was attracted to them. But as soon as it got intimate, it just felt weird and off and didn't work. And I loved being mistaken for a man. And, you know, the penny didn't drop because, of course, I hadn't seen any trans people. I didn't know they existed. So this was the closest I came to an answer. I didn't get on sexually with men. I liked to be mistaken for a man and look like a man. Hence, I must be a lesbian. I know this is an unhelpful stereotype, but back then it kind of fitted. So I, I came out as a lesbian. I tried to date women, but it didn't quite work either. So this then became like a revolving door in and out of the closet from like my early 20s into my 30s because I kept trying and it didn't work. But acting and dressing more like a lesbian kind of solved some of it, but not all of it at all. Um. Then again, it was just a case of this then progressing over the years as I couldn't really hide the car crash that was happening in my life of more drink, more drugs, in and out of the mental health system, adding self-harm to the mix, just going off the rails more and more with being picked up by the police for being drunk and self-harming. And oh, it's just more and more interventions and nothing really working and then hitting rock bottom to the point where I really was either going to end my life or I was going to die by accident because I've just put myself in so much danger. And that act of desperation was what took me to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And this was 2010 in the August. And I was 36. And it's the last place on earth you'd ever expect to find out you're transgender because that's not why you go to AA, is it? <laughs> but um, that's what happened. That's ironically what happened. And it was really a combination of sobriety, an amazingly open-minded sponsor and serendipity because it was the time where we had that trans tipping point happen where there's loads of information about trans people starting to happen, lots of documentaries on telly, the rise of Tumblr and YouTube and people blogging and getting some sobriety under my belt and this sponsor helped me to unpick what was going on with my sexuality and then falling into this rabbit hole of gender and going what trans men exist are you kidding <laughs> and just finding all of these blogs and just going but that can't be me can it i'm 37 how how did i not know that can't be right 
is there a test? <laughs> can I like find <laughs> out that this is me? I just, you can't just decide, can you? You can't just, there must, you know, this can't be me. And I spent a long time kind of trying to work out if, if I am, if I'm not. And it was really just two main things, really. I had seen a video where this chap had talked about his eating disorder and how he realised that he was just trying to make his body male. And that hit home. It was a case of I wasn't starving myself to be thin. I was starving myself to be male. That and trying on a binder and just realising that when I put this binder on, that was how my body should look. And in that moment, I realised all of those years of pain that had been gender dysphoria, that despite being assigned male, female at birth, I was transgender. And if I wanted to overcome all of that pain, I needed to come out as trans and I needed to go through gender transition. And as scary as that was, that's what I did because it was either that or go back to drinking because once I knew it had to be done. And obviously for the, the purpose of this, I'm glossing over a lot of the kind of like pain that I had to go through to work through all of that. But that's what I did. I came out, changed my name, changed my pronouns. And from fear, it turned into this real affirmation of like hearing he and him, hearing Finn, just those simple steps of just the difference between that pain I'd felt and the wrongness of how people related to me mm -hmm. to suddenly, suddenly the rightness of hearing he and him and Finn, that was incredible. And then eventually to get approved for hormones, it's a long process of going through the gender service and waiting times and all of that, but to finally get cross-sex hormones, testosterone, and to get this voice that suddenly appeared <laughs> as my voice dropped and, you know, the facial changes and all of that. It was just incredible to go through the right puberty at the age of 39 was um, <laughs> quite something. But, you know, I understood what all my peers had gone through when they were going through puberty, that wonderfulness of growing into yourself that I'd never experienced. And then to go through surgery and just finally to have my body represent me. But the most important, important and amazing change is just the absence of pain and in its place just like space you know I finished my gender transition which for me has been hormones top surgery and lower surgery in 2018 and now that's it I can just go off into the world and catch up with all this time that's lost to just go off and be me pain free you know yeah. it's just this it, I can never really adequately put it into words for how it feels today just to be able to breathe have space not to survive anymore but just to thrive to go out now and just be the man that I was always supposed to be I'm not crying you're crying I, <laughs> well I would just say I I was about yeah. to say I, I just find that so emotional listening to that listening to the it gets pain. me still yeah <laughs> the pain you experience I was gonna say you know do you well I suppose I've got two questions um firstly do you still find it painful recounting that and where you were at and secondly uh, and I know we asked um we had um Dylan on here who's our other trans guest and he talked about what it was like I said I I couldn't possibly imagine what it was like going from that and all of a sudden like you say in 2018 that was it that was mm. it you were done everything was completely fixed in your eyes and your words how does that feel you know going from that much pain into all of a sudden this is what I was meant to be mm, it's really surreal I mean for me I talk a lot I mean because this is what I do I I share on YouTube I give public talks I write so 
this is something I'm used to sharing, but still it does always create a lot of emotion. I've had a lot of counseling. I've done a lot of self-work because I think there is years of pain. I think especially when you come out such a, an old age, there's so much harm that's been done, which is why I share, because mm. there shouldn't be this much pain involved. If we can come out earlier, all of this pain can be avoided. So for me, there is lots still to undo. And I think there will be always. But the pain is different now because there's so much joy. So when I share and emotions come up, there is there is like there's a different pain. It's changed from this awful pain into this joy and almost a pride, I suppose, in myself that I can come through that, but not just come through it, but like transform it into something that can be used for good. Because I could be a really bitter, angry being for all that I've gone through, because actually it's been missed by a lot of key people along the way. So I've had a lot of therapy, you know, but so the pain really is like this kind of joy that I'm glad it's over kind of pain, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, when it was all finished in 2018, I think it took me a good year before I actually went, oh, it really is over. Because you can't stop still in gender transition and enjoy anything or kind of take a breath because there's so many complications, especially from surgery, that you dare not go, it's really over, (laughs) especially when it comes to lower surgery. I know we're going to talk about that in a minute. But for me, it was like, I could never go, okay, it's all done now because I was used to kind of having some complications crop up a couple of months later. So it was like, I needed some space to make sure it definitely was over before I could really go, okay, this is it. And you're Mm. so used to being, to your body being like this site of a medical thing (laughs) that it's not your body again for a while. It's like somebody else is making decisions about it for you or doing tests on it (laughs) or stuff like that. So it takes a while to reclaim your body again. And I needed a couple of years before it was really mine. And it's only really been in the last couple of years where I've gone, I'm really free. I'm done. The transgender cake has been cooked and I'm off. You know, (laughs) so it's it's a weird experience. It's really surreal to actually, it just belongs to me now. And I don't ever want to ever have to go back to a gender clinic. I'm going to have to, if I want, you know, follow-ups and so forth. But it's nice to be free of that because in all honesty, it isn't a very nice system to be in. We need lots of change. It isn't a great system to be in. So be out of that and just free to be me after all this time. It's just, it's wonderful. Mm. I love that sense of pride that you have and embracing all those changes because I imagine mentally it's quite difficult and almost a bit surreal when all of a sudden you have things added taken away that you know things that you've been used to all your life and then all of a sudden it's whoa okay this is great but this is a lot um and in your book top to bottom I mean it's an incredibly raw honest and beautiful account of your transition but could you tell us a bit more about the process a thanoplasty of the the whole thing yeah do you notice I didn't say that because I can't say it phalloplasty it's a mouthful isn't it no pun intended (laughs) 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 we did practice vicky didn't we we did practice that word (laughs) it's quite the other one that's difficult to say is metoidioplasty which is the other version of lower surgery i'm not gonna say that okay metoidioplasty just say meta meta Meta. and fallow it's easy thank you it's it's a really complicated surgery to itself and to go through which is why I decided to share re honestly not just about the surgery but the lived experience of it because 
I think it's really important to share all aspects because it isn't as simple as, well, hey, I've got a penis. This is wonderful. Stage one. It's then there's other stages. And it while it, like you said earlier, it's like things are added and taken away. So like you have stage one where there are basic penis is created. But then when you have stage two, what you've gained at stage one is then changed again. So you have to get used to it all over again at stage two and then at stage three. And if things go wrong and, and it's all of this literally chopping and changing as you're going and that's what makes it so incredibly difficult and you have to take into consideration as you're going along so it is such a very very intensely psychologically difficult process to go through I mean so worthwhile I'll always say that but I'm somebody that's so balanced about things and Mm. I've always been very very careful to be that because I think if you're going to share anything like this online I'd never just go out, this is amazing surgery, go out and have it. I mean, I'm not that kind of person anyway. I always will give a balanced view on everything. But for me, I just knew that I wanted to at least try to have a penis. I couldn't, I knew that I could not live my life without at least trying. Mm. And after doing enough research, I knew that the results were good enough for me to risk it. And that's where I was. And I think it's like that for any surgery. And this isn't just about trans people. I mean, let's not forget this surgery isn't just for trans people. Cisgender men have this as well. And I think this is something that's often forgotten. This is an incredible surgery for men everywhere, not just trans people. And whenever we have any kind of life sur- life-saving surgery, which this is, we have to weigh up those, those risks and decide what's right for us. And approaching the age I was, I thought, this is it you know I've come this far in my life these changes I've gone through have made such a huge difference I have a really strong feeling that a penis is going to make this much of a difference for my life too and it isn't just the mechanics of having a penis I had this instinct that having a penis would just really complete me as the person I am and I was right so going through those years of hell which it was I mean you've read the book so you know I mean it just the process of really coming into my body the embodied experience of all of that of just becoming more whole in terms of understanding myself sexually in discovering who I was as a gay man that only became possible because of my body properly representing who I who I feel myself to be I mean not every man has a penis I mean there are lots of trans men that don't feel the need to have a penis and that's fine mm-hmm. and that's the key thing with this with gender transition that I think a lot of people struggle to understand that it's all about finding out what we need as a trans person to feel complete in our own gender presentation whatever it is to feel comfortable mm-hmm. we don't all need that I did for myself and that was the right decision for me and now I mean I didn't realise until I had the surgery how many parts of my body were being shut off internally. And this amazing experience now that I can feel every aspect of my body. Pleasure. I mean, I did not know that that much pleasure was possible in one body, you know, because I've been so used to kind of going, oh, that bit's not comfortable. Don't touch that bit, you know, or just like I have a sensation and think, oh, I can't feel that bit there. So I'd mentally shut that bit off. And I didn't even know I was doing that. 
until I wasn't. And that's the strange thing Mm. that you often don't realize the pain you're in until you're no longer in it and you have the opposite experience. And then you go, wow, that was really painful then, wasn't it? You know, it's so bizarre, really is. Do you think there is enough support? I know we've heard previously about gender identity clinics and that that stage that you go through initially to sit with a therapist and work out, you know, on, on that sort of scoring system or whatever they call it about, you know, where you're at and if you can move forward to the next stage. But you talk about, you know, once you start transitioning, and understanding what it is that you need, you know, is it just top surgery? Is it all of it? Is it this? Is it just hormones? You know, is there enough support once you get past that initial assessment, if you like, to to help you understand how you move forward with such a life-changing thing? I don't think it's the right support because the trouble is, because it's overly a mental health based system, people are put in a position of trying to prove themselves as mentally capable enough to have it. So people don't feel able to really talk about what they need for fear of it being withdrawn. So it almost shoots itself in the foot, really, because this way you're kind of saying, that you're not mentally able so we've got to prove you're mentally able so people aren't really getting the support they need anyway i honestly don't know what the exact right system is but this system is old it's based on the old way of thinking where being transgender like we used to have with people who are lgb it was a mental health disorder you know it was classed as a mental health disorder that's why we had these clinics it was declassified as a mental health disorder back in 2013 We now need to get rid of these clinics because we're no longer mentally unwell. We've we've decided that. But the trouble is this system still works under that kind of thinking. We need a kind of more of an informed consent model, but with the added option of proper support where you don't have to prove yourself as psychologically sane or whatever it is to get this treatment. So that way people would then really use the support properly Because if you knew that what you said in these rooms didn't have a bearing on your getting surgery, it'd be more properly used. Does that make sense? Because I'm more likely to open up if I know that I then don't risk my having a problem because you're not really getting people generally opening up because they're so afraid. And we know this because we see it on forums. I've got this in my past. I've got that in my past. I'm so scared about saying it for fear of being you know, of of this being taken away. I came into my gender identity clinic with a history of self-harm, alcohol addiction, drug abuse, personality disorder. I had such a list and I was terrified and I was really honest about all of mine. And I've always made it a mission to tell people, please tell your gender identity clinic the truth of what you have. They are more interested in seeing that you are well supported, you're intelligent and you're, you're getting support. They're not interested in stopping. They just want to see you've got support. As long as that's the case, it's not going to stop your transition. But unfortunately, most people don't believe that. So most people aren't actually really telling people the truth. So that's the issue. So we need a whole new system where it's more centralised like any other specialised medicine is. You know, have it where doctors 
the doctors actually probably know people better than anyone else, don't they? If they've seen someone all their life, they're more likely to know them and be able to make better informed decisions anyway. Then they can signpost to somebody who's more independent, who they can give support to. And then if there is a warning flag, then that can be sent out if necessary. But it's, I'm waffling a bit, but does this make mm, sense? Yeah, No, it yeah. does. And I think, I think one of the things that I'm, is pretty, you're not going to know the answer, but I think it's a useful discussion point anyways, about the level of research that's done about trans people, for trans people and for everyone else. It sounds like even though we've made um, headway from, you know, obviously when before you were 37 years old, you didn't really have that visibility. And now we're in a, a bit of a better situation, but it still sounds like there's such a lack of research mm. and understanding. And I guess, why? Oh, <laughs> why I is know. there? I know. I don't know. I really don't know why there isn't more research. There should be. The trouble is there's a lot of like medication, like pu puberty blockers is a really good example of this. There's lots of research into puberty blockers as being very safe, for example, but because it's not being used specifically for trans people, it's discounted. And so we need a lot of specific research on and for trans people, and that will help especially. Mm -hmm. But I think what we really need more than anything at the moment is some help <laughs> with ending this movement of social media unaccountability because that's actually doing more harm than anything when it comes to like the gender critical people who are just mm -hmm. causing so much harm because it's infiltrating huge powerful systems governments people that make rules and policies and that's so dangerous i mean this whole rhetoric we have where trans people are kind of portrayed as monsters as sex pests <laughs> you know mm. as dangerous to women and children and wanting to change the fabric of society it's just it's awful and it's and it's more out of having no it's not fact it's not based on any it's, evidence it's ignorance it's, it's ignorance it, yeah it's, it's, ignorance. it's opinion it's fear yeah. being presented as fact when it's not fact it's an opinion which you're welcome to in some forums but when it becomes oppressive yeah that's when you shouldn't be sharing it yeah change the person that they're saying it about and it's clearly phobic <laughs> but because it's said about trans people it's often ignored if it's said about any other demographic there'd be absolute uproar it's really bad but i actually do also think it's about social media as well um, because we have this huge polarization happening because of the way algorithms work. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a certain prejudice, say, for example, trans people um, are not valid and you Google it, you will, your Google engine will keep sending you those kind of things back, those kind of articles yeah. back. So that's all you will see on your, on your feed. Yeah. So that's that's why it's just feeding what you already believe. And we need more social media accountability for this because that's yeah. what's happening. I mean, we're going to go off on a tangent now. That's what's happening with all of these different things around the world. Wars, mm. all of this stuff that's happening is social media. And that needs more accountability as well, because that's fueling a lot of these these issues that's mm. happening in our world and in in all of these kind of things. And, that and people are getting away. They're getting away with it, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. And it's damaging yeah. people. It's, you know. And I think you're right. I think it is relevant in. The fact that we're talking about not only trans rights but trans allyship, trans support, support yeah. for just human beings. Yeah. Um, and as you said, if you if you replace trans with black folk or 
you know, Muslims or any any yeah. other group, then it would. I know. Yeah. I, know. I mean, it makes me feel yeah. sick. I mean, I suppose for me, I mean, I really struggle. My partner, I mean, he, he knew nothing about trans people when we met. And I mean, now he's like one of the biggest allies. He gets so incensed. It's it's lovely to watch. I just sit back and just watch him go and it's brilliant. <laughs> you know, we sit together and I'm, I, I mean, sometimes I just have tears because I can't believe how people can just be so awful. I mean, the comments I get on some of my YouTube videos are just so malicious. I mean, you just think, what, what possesses people to stop, take five minutes out of their day to come onto someone's YouTube channel and say the things they say. Mm. I mean, do they really believe it? Yeah. Or, you know, I just don't get it. And I read, I mean, I I make the mistake sometimes of reading some of the stuff that's on social media about what they think that trans women and trans men are up to and what they think we're on the planet for. And I'll tell you, I ain't got the time of day to do any of the things they think that I'm I'm up to doing, you know, I'm in the toilet to pee. So my trans sisters, you know, that's all we're doing. (laughs) I just just don't get it. What's the fear? What are are they afraid of? Are they so scared of gender nonconformity or, you know, things in the categories they are comfortable with? It, a, it's none of their business what other people do regarding gender choice or whatever, but yeah. it's just what is your personal fear about this? Because yeah. it doesn't affect you. I know. I mean, it's... look at our world. Look how wonderful this world is, right? Look how we've come. Look at the advances we've made in technology and that way we live. Mm-hmm. We've evolved so beautifully as a world and humans evolve okay and we're evolving so that we can express ourselves in so many different ways i find it beautiful when i see people like playing with gender if i see a man with a glorious beard and he's just got this beautiful shade of lipstick on (laughs) and he's wearing some glorious earrings i think that's gorgeous what is it why is it a problem and i just think if, if human beings are starting to do this and be you know not afraid to go out and do that why is this an issue if we can you know, build a supercomputer that can do all these amazing things and we think that's incredible, why don't we think it's incredible when human beings are learning to express themselves in all these glorious ways as well? Mm. What? Why? Why is it a problem? <laughs> Isn't it yeah. just wonderful that we can do this? Yeah. How How do you deal with, I mean, the fact that you've, you've talked about this place that you were in before with this pain and this um confusion of who you were and then you've had this huge revelation and you've become the person that you are now and you're doing this wonderful thing and you're sharing your journey to help and support others and to sort of spread the word and then you've got to deal with trolls and dicks like that (laughs) that you know that just try and ruin your day how how does that make you feel and how do you deal with the negativity that comes with this I forgot we're on strong tea and I can say what I like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do I do two things. I do this one thing where I respond with love once. I never, ever engage nastily on my, on my comments. And I've got a really lovely community who also do the same thing. It's like I, I do one respond with love where I always kind of make a nice comment and see if I can get some engagement. And if not, I just leave it if it's a really nasty straight out of the box awful comment it's just deleted but I always give it one benefit of the doubt and then I just delete at the moment because of my ME and because of my lack of energy I just think do you know what my energy is so sparse at the moment I haven't got the time so you just delete just leave it 
However, I then go and sit with Chris and we say all sorts of swear words together. <laughs> and we call them out and I say all the sort of things I'd love to just write in the comment box about what I really think of you. That's how I deal with it. <laughs> but, you know, I just I just try my best to remember that they must have their own pain at the end of the day. They must have some kind of trigger point that's happened to have this amount of hatred and mm. bigotry that then they must have. And I was taught this technique years ago at some meditation retreat about making yourself transparent, that when you have anything negative said to you or anything bad happen, you imagine yourself completely see-through and like a gust of wind blows something right way through you. And I do this little like two-minute meditation thing where it blows it through and I try and do that. But if all else fails, I go and sit with Chris because he's northern and swears really <laughs> successfully. And that always makes me feel quite positive because <laughs> he says all the things I never will. So he's great. <laughs> I think with that kind of abuse as well, it screams a lot about the person screaming it than the person receiving it. And I yeah. think that's a position of power as well, where you get to see them. They've actually being angry is leaving you very vulnerable because we now see your weakness and absolutely you're giving me power by insulting me because you know I scare you <laughs> absolutely I get so many amazing comments and that's why I always try and remember our brains are wired to the negative aren't they we mm. always remember I can't remember the science behind this but we do always go to that negative thing but actually one negative comment and there's billions okay billions is a bit exaggeration Finley but lots <laughs> of really positive <laughs> comments so that's what I go and go to you know because yeah. there's loads I mean the work I do the comments I get that's really what counts so yeah, yeah. I, I guess a, a good segue question here based on the negativity that you have received Vicky and I are always looking for new ways to support um you know the LGBTQ community widely but you know, always wanting to be trans ally allies and support the trans community. What do you think people can do more of to support, you know, and, and, and give the love that's so clearly needed in a time where people are just so nasty and, you know, oppressive at times? I think little actions are really helpful. Whenever you're in a situation and someone says something, I mean, there's a tiny little things can happen on Facebook. For, I mean, I saw something last night where someone's friend had commented about some um, a midwife had used chest feeding rather than breastfeeding. And somebody had made a big comment about it. And someone else had really kindly said, well, it's just more inclusive language. It's little things like that, just little interactions with people and just making comments like, well, have you thought about why this might happen? It's little things like that. It doesn't always mean grand gestures, but just having conversations with other people about gender diversity and trans people. And I talked to a trans person the other day and they said this. And had you thought about that? Conversations between people create ripples that then go out and people say, oh, I met somebody and they said this. And then they meet someone else and they talk and they pass it on. That really helps. And also reading trans literature. I mean, I can't really stress enough how important it is to listen to trans people and read their books, read their blogs, listen to their YouTube channels and podcasts and pass them on, share them, share trans information that's written by trans people and pass that on. Flooding the internet with that because unfortunately our voices get drowned out over people with very big platforms who wave wands and flood the internet. <laughs> so, so 
having help with flooding the internet with facts from people who know firsthand us trans mm. people what it's like that really helps as well because unfortunately we're not as big as they are so having our truth triumphed mm. over that helps you are lot. you are together mm. yeah yeah on that um I don't quite know how to wear this, but um, let's let's talk penis for a second. Okay. Um, because <laughs> what you're saying with um, reading, <laughs> with reading um, books by trans folk and kind of understanding it, you broke the mold a little bit by yeah. kind of talking about the phalloplast, phalloplasty yeah. quite openly. Yeah. <laughs> and... I've I've read a few trans books and you know by by trans people and it's the first time I've come across that. What kind of reception did you get from, quite frankly, answering the questions people want to ask? I've been really lucky. I've had a really good reception from it. Everyone's just been really grateful. I think I'm I am the first person that's ever written a book from a trans person's perspective mm. from phalloplasty from start to finish but certainly the first person ever to go in depth in the way mm. I have and I think the reason it's had a very good reception from trans people is because I do give a very balanced approach and because it's about the lived experience mm. because the trouble is when it comes to sharing about trans surgery is that people are put well people who aren't trans are very preoccupied with trans bodies and really as trans people we don't want that we want people to be preoccupied really with what it is to be trans yeah. to be interested in our lives the deeper side not just like what did you used to look like what was your real name all of these awful yeah. comments you get so for me to write a book about my penis seems like I'm going against the grain with that so for me it had to be more than just mechanics it had to be about what it's really like living in a body that doesn't represent who you really are and then what it's like when your body finally does and the deep changes that goes with that you know psychologically and I think that's what's different about it because it takes people away from what my body looks like to wow that's incredible I understand now why this surgery is so life-changing so I think that's why it's had a really good reception and because you know they're just for statistics are helpful but if it's one in a hundred if you're that one what difference does it make yeah. what people really need to know is what is this like? What's it really like to go through? What is it like to wake up with a penis you've never had before? What is it like to get home with a penis and care for it when it's at a 45 degree angle for six weeks and you've never had coped with one before? You know, what do you do with it? How do you put it in your pants? When you when it suddenly is capable of weeing, how do you wee with it? When you can get an erection for the first time, how do you do that? I've never had sex before with a penis. How do you do that? You know, all of those things that, you know, You've never done before and I talk about all of that because I've never done it before so I shared very honestly about driving this thing for the very first time in my life and how that was not as an expert but just as like this is my experience mm -hmm. you know this is my experience of realizing after saying I'd never have phalloplasty why I cho changed my mind this is my experience of like how it was waking up with the penis and you know going through the surgical procedure and yeah this is how it is do you find um I mean it sounds like you have been through like I said earlier I can't quite imagine that lived experience because you are almost essentially a completely different person to 
who you were. And that's such a big transition mentally, emotionally and physically. Um, You sound like you've done a lot of writing to help you through it, but how do you deal with something that is so big? Well, I am grateful more than anything to AA. I don't think I'd have got through the very beginnings of this had it not been for AA. I think we all need a support network going into this. And I mean, I was based in Oxford when I started my transition. And I mean, I was going to a meeting a day, sometimes two in early transition. And I lived in Oxford right the way up till stage one. So they saw me go through all of that and they were really supportive about all of it. And that's where I went for all of my support because of course, I've got mental health problems. I've had mental health challenges all my life and that didn't just go away overnight. You know, it wasn't like suddenly going through transition that was cured, you know, all going away. In many ways it got worse because, you know, just the upheaval of going through surgery and recovery and it's just so stressful. So having that support of AA was vital. Having the support of my family was incredible. My mum, oh my goodness, she was just, just amazing. I mean, Thanks to AA, me and my mum kind of built bridges because we had, you know, we had a pretty rocky time growing up. And she just accepted me overnight as, a, as her son. And she was just so incredibly supportive of me. Um, and that really helped. But I've I've always written journals and actually sharing on YouTube really helped. I connected with a group of older trans guys as well. And we helped each other through. The trans community is the biggest thing because there's so little support. There's so little information. Nobody in the local surgeries, your doctors know what's going on when it comes to phalloplasty. So you have your stuff done in London, then you come home and you're just like, what do I do? So community in um, the trans community, without that, I don't know what I would have done. You've got to be so resilient. You've got to be so resourceful. You've got to really really kind of find your own support and that's so important that's always I say to everyone get yourself sorted I mean I was lucky I was in recovery already I had that solid support base I made sure I was always doing my own research going out of my way to find everything I needed ahead of time and you have to do that that mentorship sounds quite um important was there a particular mentor that you had whilst you were going through the uh, process there was there's a group of us trans brothers we call each other who've really grown up together in the process there was a channel at the time um my fred is being a nightmare and i can't remember the name of the <laughs> channel we had it's a man's world that's it it was run by my friend chris at the time and there was about five or six of us who kind of all like was on this channel at one point or another and we still see each other and we've all kind of like transitioned now we're at different stages some of us are still having some surgery but yeah we've all kind of like gelled together over the years and we, we still split around the country but we still see each other we still meet up and yeah, we've always we've always kind of kept in in touch. Mm. And without that, I don't know what we we would have done really. Were you yeah. the only one going through a phalloplasty? I said it the first time. Phalloplasty. Well I did it again. Um, were you the the only one at the time going through that, or was there? Yes, I was. I was oh, the only right. one. I okay. was the only one because at the time when I started going through it, there was still a lot of misinformation about it being really unsuccessful. It had a bad rep when I started going mm. through it. So a lot of people were, "Don't do this, Finn." 
don't. <laughs> and that's the information I was giving out as well, which is why I share now, because I was mm. one of the ones that was also saying, don't do this. It's really bad because there was a lot of information online where you were, there were people were sharing half finished results. And I thought that was it. <gasps> Unfortunately, there was a lot of information that was very old and we are seeing now there's a lot more people sharing about it. So information is catching up, mm. but there is still so little information. Mine is one of about three books. There is like a, a collection of short stories in another couple of books. And that's it because people just aren't, of course, people don't want to share about their genitals. It's just something people don't want to talk about. But mm. we desperately need people who can to share mm. because without this information, people can't make informed decisions. But now, because people realise that this is a surgery that can and is successful, mm. more people are having this surgery. So there is more people sharing about it. But obviously, I mean, I'm probably one of the few that are quite as open as I am about my penis. But, you know, it's it's not easy. But for me, it's like I don't want anyone to feel as alone as I once did. Mm. So this is what I do, because, you know, if I can help other people, I want to. Following on from that, what you've just said there, we always try and use this as a platform to, you know, reach out to people. Um, and I guess it's a twofold question. What advice would you give to people that may be in that mindset that you were first in where you were so confused and you were unsure and nothing really fit and you weren't really sure what was going on with your life? And secondly, what would you say to those people around someone going through a transition because some people like parents or family members and some friends don't know how to deal with it and it's scary and they get angry because they don't understand it so yeah. what kind of advice or um I don't know guidance can you give those two sort of groups of people mm. I say to anyone who's kind of questioning just in the beginning of kind of trying to come out and work make sense of this is to take your time definitely take your time there is no rush to work your gender out. I mean, it's this is really tough stuff. But at the same time, don't let fear hold you back because you deserve to be happy. And whatever age you are, I mean, it's never too late to be who you're always meant to be. That's always what I say to people because I waited a long time and then thought because of the age I am, it couldn't be successful. You can come out at any time and it is successful at any time. And if people around you are kind of you're scared to come out because you might lose people you can't be someone else just to please other people you owe it to yourself to come out mm. taking that leap of faith is terrifying but there is never anything as scary and painful as not being who you are you know so just take it gently find someone you trust but trust me Taking that leap of faith can be the best gift you ever give yourself. And for people around people who are questioning or struggling, my advice is support them as best you can and listen to them. But when it comes to getting information for yourself, I would say go to someone else because trying to get advice from that person when they're struggling themselves can feel too much. There are loads of incredible charities. I'm sure you'll list information for people that are looking for um, some links but go and get advice from trans charities that's the best place because unfortunately when we start as we've talked earlier when you start looking online for advice you're easy to fall down the wrong advice lines and get advice from people that aren't well-meaning so go to 
specialist places that have groups for parents and loved ones of trans people who can support you and they know what you're going through because it can be difficult it can bring up difficult feelings that if you're supported you're much better able to support you the person you're caring for and get the right information because being transgender does not have to be a negative experience being transgender is a beautiful experience it's opened my eyes to a much more beautifully diverse glorious world i love being trans i'm proud of being trans we have a beautiful community and it's it's a glorious life where i get to be me and what more wonderful thing is that you know than to be fully who we are so oh my god and i love you this is so deep i love it i love it and i think you know you're saying about support and you said you know previously about how can you be it if you can't see it and i think people like yourself making yourself visible making yourself role models of you know don't be afraid you know but I, i just yeah i i mean you're in a word you're absolutely inspiring and a total unicorn legend um <laughs> but yeah and, and we're so fortunate you're going to come back for some more episodes because I mean you have been through so much you have faced so many challenges and for, this is going to sound weird but we can't wait to get <laughs> get into those as well but for today's more episode, of the drama. <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's, it's just all part of the ingredients that make you and it's yeah. just fascinating but we offer all our guests a final sip and this is your chance to say anything you want to say swearing is allowed um <laughs> but anything you know to use our podcast for a platform for something that you want to leave behind for, for our listeners something i want to leave behind oh i think like i said earlier that you know you can in life be angry and bitter about stuff that's happened to you and I think, you know, I could, but I've chosen to just think, you know, this bad stuff happens, but do you know what? I can use it for good. And I think I, I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, this bad stuff has happened in my life and it's not about saying bad stuff hasn't happened. I'm standing in a garden of manure, <laughs> right? But there's roses. I can either choose to focus on the roses and think, oh my, focus on the manure and go, this stuff stinks of shit or I can go okay this stuff stinks of shit but there's some really nice roses and that's how I live my life I'm aware of the stuff that stinks but I walk through it and I choose to smell the roses it's a balance you know there's always some shit but there are always roses and that's that's the best way to live life it's not about saying roses are lovely (laughs) it's about saying there is shit but there's glorious roses as well that's life I love it (laughs) What a mantra to live by. Absolutely love it. <laughs> oh, shit, don't forget the roses. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> don't pick my roses. Yeah. <laughs> New motto. You need to get a t-shirt with that on. Yeah. Yeah. Smell the shit, but look at the roses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Finn, we can't thank you enough for thank joining you. us for this episode. And we cannot wait to record the, the next ones with you. Um, I'll have to think of another motto. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Get your homework going. There you go. (laughs) I've loved it. Loved it. And thank you to everyone for listening. Um, If you like what you hear and you want to buy us a cup of tea or coffee, as uh, I was drinking today, then go to our website and go to our support pages and you can buy us a brew on there. So that's it for today. 
thank you very much for joining us thank you and i'm not going to do the two ronnies it's do it go on it's um, nice it's goodbye from me and it's it's goodbye from me (laughs) (laughs) thanks everyone thank you bye